Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, eight more Israeli hostages are walking free. See the tearful reunion after the ceasefire was extended for one more day. A ceasefire that some terrorists have violated, opening fire in Jerusalem. Jason Perry reports on how it went down. The gag order on former President Trump is back in place in the New York civil fraud trial. What the judge and Trump's attorneys have to say. Government censorship debate. Witnesses tell Congress that the federal government is censoring Americans through social media companies. Are the companies censoring speech or enforcing the terms of service? Arlene Richards tonight. America's former top diplomat Henry Kissinger dies at the age of 100. We examine his legacy in foreign policy. Countering Beijing's influence in Africa, President Biden hosting the Angolan president to boost ties. But why is the visit overshadowed by an unfulfilled promise? Iris Tao reports from the White House. A new virus outbreak in China leading U.S. lawmakers to raise concerns over transparency. As a whistleblower reveals the CCP is trying to downplay the seriousness of the situation. Melina Weiskopf is on Capitol Hill with more on what Congress is asking of the CDC. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City, here is Tiffany Meyer. Good evening and thank you for joining us tonight. The clock continues ticking before full-scale war resumes in the Gaza Strip. Israel and Hamas terrorists agree to extend the ceasefire for one more day. But a recent deadly attack shows that not everyone is playing by the rules. NTD's Jason Perry has the latest. And a warning, this report contains footage that some viewers may find disturbing. Just minutes before the ceasefire was set to expire early Thursday morning, Israel and Hamas terrorists agreed to stop fighting for at least one more day. I want to make the government's position perfectly clear uh, as the hostage release pause continues. When Hamas stops releasing hostages, we will stop the pause and we will resume our campaign against Hamas. However, the ceasefire agreement didn't necessarily mean the fighting stopped completely, as seen in this disturbing video. On Thursday, Hamas terrorists in East Jerusalem drove up to a bus stop and began shooting at innocent bystanders who tried to run away. The Hamas terrorists killed three people and injured eight, according to Israeli police. Off-duty Israeli soldiers and an armed civilian in the area then shot and killed the terrorists. Israel's security minister said this after the incident. This event proves another thing, how important the policy of distributing weapons is. Despite the criticism, I will continue with this policy of distributing weapons everywhere. The tragic shooting overshadowed Secretary of State Antony Blinken's visit to Israel, where he met with officials on Thursday. We're reminded yet again by the events in Jerusalem today of the threat from terrorism that uh, Israel and Israelis face every single day. And uh, like you, my heart goes out to the victims of this attack. Blinken said the U.S. supports Israel's right to defend itself and that the U.S. remains committed to returning all of the hostages home. 
Currently, an estimated 140 hostages remain in Hamas captivity. And on Thursday, eight more Israeli hostages were released, including Ahmet Susanna and Mia Shem, who was in one of the first hostage videos released by Hamas after the terrorist attack on October 7th. Here's her mother when she found out her daughter would be released after being held hostage for more than seven weeks. And here they are reuniting in Israel. Meanwhile, in the West Bank, more Palestinians were released from Israeli prisons. Secretary of State Antony Blinken also said that before Israel continues fighting in the war, it must take steps to minimize civilian casualties. And he said Israel's prime minister and members of the war cabinet agreed with the need for this approach. Jason Perry, NTD News. Former President Trump and his lawyers are no longer allowed to comment about court staff in his New York civil fraud trial. A New York appeals court reinstated his gag order earlier today. The judge in the civil fraud trial, Arthur Ngoron, imposed the gag order on October 3rd. It came after Trump accused Ngoron's top clerk of political bias in a post on Truth Social. An appeals court judge had temporarily paused the order on November 16th. The order was paused while Trump's lawyers appealed, arguing it infringed on his First Amendment right. Today, the appeals court said it should be restored while the official appeal is pending. Judge Ngoron warns he plans to enforce the gag order vigorously. An attorney for Trump says the appeals court ruling marks a tragic day for the law. In D.C., Twitter Files journalists testified today, one year after the first Twitter Files report, two journalists returned to discuss social media censorship. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. Do you swear or affirm under penalty? Journalists involved in the so-called Twitter Files reports haven't spoken to Congress since March. But on Thursday, Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger gave testimony for the second time before a House subcommittee focused on government censorship. The subcommittee is re-examining the federal government's involvement in social media censorship, as well as what it calls attacks on independent journalism and free expression. Chair Jim Jordan kicked off the hearing by praising Taibbi and Schellenberger for exposing the Twitter files. The Twitter files are thousands of records of conversations between company employees about their content moderation decisions. CEO Elon Musk authorized the incremental release of the files in December 2022. Taibbi and Schellenberger posted discussions to highlight the company's decision-making process around some high-profile actions. Jordan said the journalists have been targeted for their efforts. And when we first had Mr. Taibbi and Mr. Schellenberger testify back in March, an IRS agent showed up at Matt Taibbi's door, where I say, while they are testifying, while Mr. Taibbi is testifying in front of the committee about the weaponization of government, the IRS was actually, at that very moment, knocking on his door. There's not one person who thinks that was just chance. He said the committee has exposed other incidents of the federal government's attempts to censor Americans. Schellenberger said Homeland Security and the FBI were involved. FBI agents were directly flagging content to Twitter saying this appears to violate your terms of service. What about this? What about that? Same thing with DHS staff. And then, of course, DHS created uh, the Election uh, Integrity Partnership, which then became the Virality Project, which was in the process of demand demanding mass censorship of America. Democratic Representative Dan Goldman argued that only 13 percent of flag content was removed. So you see them constantly trying to change the terms of service 
you see them. It was 35% of, of the URLs that were, this according to EIP, were labeled, to... removed, or soft blocked. That's all forms of censorship. That censorship is not just removal. But 65% were not. So how can the government be so, so coercive? Does the First Amendment say the government can censor the time of the gentleman has They're expired. not censoring. They're flagging in the social Chair media companies. So under coercion, 35% of a First Chair, Amendment? Or? It's not the First Amendment. It's the terms of service, as you said, and they oh are flagging my. it for the social media companies to make their own decisions. <laughs> that is not the First Amendment. That is the terms of service. At the conclusion of the hearing, the chair said he would like to continue having hearings about censorship and that he plans to invite the journalists to come back again. Arlene Richards, NTD News. A Senate probe into the Supreme Court takes a turn into the private sphere. The Democrat-controlled Judiciary Committee voted today to subpoena two private citizens as part of the ethics investigation. The probe examines how justices have received gifts and personal hospitality from wealthy friends. The committee authorized subpoenas for billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow and conservative activist Leonard Leo. Crow is a close friend of Justice Clarence Thomas. Leo advocates for conservative nominees for the bench. Republicans expressed outrage. Senator Lindsey Graham called the subpoenas despicable. President Biden hosting the Angolan president today, seeking to counter Beijing's influence on the African continent. Entity's Iris Tao has more from the White House. President Biden's meeting with Angolan President Lorenzo today comes as President Biden seeking to expand U.S. ties with Africa, where the Chinese Communist Party is also seeking to expand its influence there. Angola, for example, is already the biggest debtor to China in Africa, owing China some $40 billion in debt and having to pay back some of it using its oil. Well, President Biden now presenting President to these African countries U.S. investments under what's called the Lobito Corridor Project, which is an alternative to China's belt and road initiative the administration says often turns out to be debt traps. Here's President Biden talking at the bilateral meeting today. Watch. Africa, one billion people, critically important how it functions for the whole world. Africa is a continent of one billion people and it is a critical importance for the world. And no country more important than Angola. And Africa, no country is more important than Angola. And President Lorenzo, who's been shifting Angola away from Chinese influence and closer instead to the U.S., praised President Biden today for, quote, opening a new page in U.S. relationship with Africa. Meanwhile, there were concerns, however, about African countries feeling neglected by the U.S., as it seems that President Biden is set to break his promise earlier to visit Africa by the end of this year. President Biden today, however, did promise that he's going to go back to Angola, though he didn't specify when. And when it comes to the Israel-Hamas war, where a truce is getting extended to a seven-day pause, the White House says it welcomes that and actually would like to see the pause getting extended to eight or nine or ten days long. However, it also emphasizes that while it supports temporary pauses in fighting, it does not support a permanent ceasefire. Here's what National Security Spokesperson John Kirby was saying today. Watch. Uh, that they will continue to have uh, United States support as they go after these terrorists. And again, just look at what happened today in Jerusalem. I mean, if anybody's guessing and wondering whether Hamas still has murderous intentions against the Israeli people, just look at what happened in Jerusalem today. And that's the White House condemning what it calls a terrorist attack in Jerusalem, where three people were shot by Hamas. Back to you. 
lawmakers today raising transparency concerns over a new virus outbreak in China. A whistleblower recently told our sister media, the Epic Times, that the Chinese Communist Party is secretly ordering officials to downplay the outbreak, which has overwhelmed hospitals. Congress is now probing the CDC to find out how the agency is responding. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports from Capitol Hill. Overwhelming many hospitals, infections of this pneumonia are spreading quickly among children in China and have now even extended to adults, with medications being useless to help. Chinese reports indicate that the request for medical care is so high that Beijing has been forced to reopen makeshift hospitals just to cope. Here's what the CDC director had to say about this new virus when testifying before a House committee. Correct. Not a novel virus. Again, we have been in, in, in close touch with um, our counterparts in China, um, and that information has been corroborated. And you feel confident that they have China's being transparent with them as for the information that you have? Well, I think, you know, scientific diplomacy is um, incredibly important um, in that part of the world. This comes as an insider account reveals that the rest of the world and even those inside China may be left in the dark about the reality of this new outbreak. A whistleblower told our sister media outlet, the Epoch Times, that the CCP leader Xi Jinping has actually ordered officials to downplay reporting of this new respiratory illness and to avoid using the term COVID-19. They're not forthcoming. They don't want to lose face, and as a result, people die. And so we've got to keep an eye on it. That being said, I mean, we still have the same problem we had in some sense with COVID, which is like the data coming out of China is so opaque, there's no transparency, and that's what makes it hard to analyze what the risk is beyond China's borders. The Energy and Commerce Committee has asked the CDC to be on guard about this new outbreak and to better prepare to provide more transparency into the true nature of the virus. They didn't tell us the truth during COVID. They held back on what was happening probably uh, for weeks, if not months, which resulted in a worldwide pandemic. So I'm skeptical also about what's happening in China and we need to know what, what it is. Now the Energy and Commerce Committee is requesting the CDC to answer a long list of questions on the virus by December 13th, including things such as if the CCP has tried to withhold or delay providing information about this virus and what information, if any, has the CDC received from China on the virus. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger died yesterday at the age of 100. His firm released a statement saying he passed away at his home in Connecticut. Kissinger served as National Security Advisor and Secretary of State under Presidents Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford. He played a key role in easing tensions with the Soviet Union. He also encouraged engagement between the U.S. and Communist China. His legacy was not without controversy. He was heavily criticized over the U.S. bombing of Cambodia during the Vietnam War, as well as supporting a coup against a democratic government in Chile. No cause of death has yet been released. Coming up, Representative George Santos could be kicked out of Congress. The House is gearing up for the second time to vote on whether or not to expel him. Housing illegal immigrants on federal land. Congress today deciding whether the government is allowed to spend taxpayer money on that. Arian Pastar brings us a border update.
a carefully guarded secret kept under tight wraps by the federal government. Lawmakers today addressing pushback from the intel community against UAP disclosure. And phone scammers are on the prowl. NTD investigates a recent scam targeting Spectrum TV customers. How to keep your info safe and more when we come back. Welcome back. Tomorrow could be Representative George Santos's last day in Congress. The House is expected to vote on a resolution to expel him. The New York Republican faces charges of corruption and misusing campaign funds. Here's the congressman this morning. This is bullying. The, rep, the chair of the committee putting out a motion to expel, just introducing it and not calling it privilege, was designed to force me to resign. The reality of it is it's all theater. It's theater for the cameras, it's theater for the microphones, it's theater for the American people at the expense of the American people. The resolution to expel Santos requires a two-thirds majority in the House. Santos has pleaded not guilty to federal charges of laundering campaign money for personal expenses. He's also accused of charging donor credit cards without permission. Santos says he won't run for re-election in 2024, but he's refused to resign. Two votes to expel Santos have already failed, but it's unclear whether he can survive this third attempt. Almost 180 Republicans voted against expulsion on November 1st, but several have said they won't support the congressman this time. Suspected terrorists entering the United States. Would a Trump border policy have prevented the current situation at the border? And today's Arian Postar brings us the highlights from today's hearing. And our adversaries around the world are capitalizing on our open border policies. It only took 19 terrorists to perpetrate 9-11. The House Foreign Affairs Committee on Thursday holding a hearing on the border crisis. In total, since President Biden took office, we've had more than 7.5 million encounters at the southern border. This is the population of nine states combined and nearly 300 apprehensions of individuals on the terror watch list, compared to 14 under the previous administration. Congressman Michael McCall concluded by saying the Remain in Mexico policy would have prevented the current crisis. Also on Thursday, the House is scheduled to vote on a bill that would prohibit the use of federal funds to provide housing to specified aliens on federal lands. However, even if the House passes the bill, it will face an uphill battle. On Monday, the White House published a statement saying the administration strongly opposes the bill. And impeaching Homeland Security's Alejandro Mayorkas. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene is now again pushing her resolution for impeachment. This comes after last week the House decided not to vote on her resolution, but instead send it back to the committee. Also, a fellow Republican congressman previously indicated he doesn't consider all of Greene's resolutions. I am not going to be thinking a lot about every privileged resolution that Marjorie Greene files. Because? Because I'm, we've got real work to do. Green on Thursday said almost 10,000 illegal immigrants had entered the U.S. in the last 24 hours, indicating that's part of the reason she introduced articles of impeachment against Secretary Mayorkas again this week, asking, will Republicans impeach him this time? 
Ariane Pastar, NTD News. And this just in, the House has passed the bill to block the housing of illegal immigrants on federal lands. However, as we just heard, there are still a few obstacles in the way. The next step is for Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to bring the bill to the Senate floor for a vote. Some House Republicans say they are concerned this won't happen, saying Schumer might not let the Senate vote on the bill. Who is ultimately responsible for sealing the evidence related to UAPs, otherwise known as UFOs? On Capitol Hill today, several lawmakers saying their efforts in demanding transparency have been stonewalled by the intelligence community. NTD Sam Wong has the details. Since the 1940s, unidentified anomalous phenomenon, or UAPs, have been investigated by politicians and scientists alike. But to this day, much of the information regarding these possibly extraterrestrial aircraft remains tightly sealed. This year, a growing number of lawmakers have pushed for full disclosure surrounding the phenomena, but have repeatedly encountered roadblocks. According to Congressman Tim Burchett, the pushback has come not from any elected body, but rather from the intelligence community. Burchett has led several efforts demanding the full declassification of UAP information. That includes an amendment to this year's National Defense Authorization Act, that would require the Defense Department to release all relevant materials that would not put national security at risk. Burchett said today that the issue ultimately comes down to transparency. But why are we classifying so much about this, especially if the information doesn't jeopardize national security, and we have departments telling us that they do not exist? Back in July, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer spearheaded legislation called the UAP Disclosure Act, but the bill has received a mixed response from both sides of the aisle. Congressman Burchett told me the concern is that the legislation would require an appointed panel to review all the classified materials. The American public would have no control over it. It would be appointed by a politician. You'd know who would be on there. You'd have the, the missile defense companies. You'd have the usual cast of characters. When asked about progress towards full disclosure, some House member told me that Congress is moving in the right direction. Schumer's efforts here are probably the floor as to where we would like to see disclosure begin. Again, going back to just what we have faced, it shouldn't be the case that it is this complicated to release this information. I think we're making a lot of progress. We just have to accept the fact that the pace here in Washington, that we're caught up in that same pace. But it remains to be seen how soon declassification and disclosure will take place. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wong, NTD News. Just as the holiday season kicks into high gear, phone scammers are working overtime to steal your hard-earned money. This time, they're doing it using fake Spectrum customer service websites. NTD's Stephanie Sakal investigates. Some Spectrum customers have fallen victim to this new scam technique. They search for the Spectrum customer service phone number, but instead, several sponsored websites pop up. Whereas the original Spectrum customer service phone number is almost at the bottom. We decided to give it a try and see how far we could take our investigation. So do you need my information to log into my Spectrum account? I just pulled up your account, ma'am. Oh, yeah. He surprisingly knew my first and last name, home address, and how much my balance was for this month. We gave him a fake name and a fake credit card information, and he went ahead and proceeded it without any problem. And you want to uh, set this card on the file, right? Yes. Can I get, will I get a notification for my account? 
Yes, ma'am. You will also get the notification, and you will also get the notification that your bill has been paid for this month. You will receive the confirmation number uh, on your email within next 24 hours, and the payment that we are charging right now with Spectrum, it will be due up on your account. The email confirmation was never received. We also noticed that when we tried to go back to their website, they had already changed their phone number. The person you are trying to reach is currently unavailable. Dennis Johnson, a spokesperson from Spectrum, stated that, quote, This latest customer scam is not specific to Spectrum. We will never ask you to pay your bill via gift card, wire transfer, cryptocurrency, payment apps. This type of scam has been on the rise. Law enforcement from around the country continue to emphasize the need for vigilance and caution when dealing with unfamiliar numbers, highlighting ongoing efforts to combat fraudulent practices. Stephanie Sikal, NTD News. Coming up, what are some of the most important elements of Henry Kissinger's legacy? Retired General Robert Spaulding says one of them has to do with the Chinese Communist Party. Hear more about what he has to say. And Meta removing thousands of fake Facebook accounts. The company says someone in China created them to divide Americans politically. Details on that and how social media platforms like TikTok could influence the 2024 elections when we come back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. The truce between Israel and Hamas was extended by one day until later tonight, but Hamas claimed responsibility for an attack at a bus stop in Jerusalem, killing three people. A New York appeals court reinstated the gag order on former President Trump in the civil fraud trial. It bars Trump and his attorneys from commenting on court staff. House lawmakers probed the federal government's involvement in social media censorship. Two journalists involved in the Twitter Files report gave their testimonies one year later. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger died at the age of 100. His legacy includes pulling the U.S. out of the Vietnam War and building diplomatic relations with communist China. Former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger was a dominant figure in American foreign policy. One could argue he reshaped the world in many ways. Joining us now to discuss Kissinger's legacy, we have retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, currently National Security Analyst at the Hudson Institute. General Spaulding, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Great to be back. U.S. diplomat Henry Kissinger has died at the age of 100. Now, he's been described as having, having helped reshape the world. Give us a sense of his legacy here. Well, it's true. I mean, he's had an incredible impact on the foreign policy establishment in the United States. Of course, he was um, the national security advisor for President Nixon and the secretary of state. Um, you know, one of the big things that they did was uh, get the United States out of the Vietnam War. Of course, you know, since he left government, he has been involved in corporate life and been advising, you know, nearly every president since, and um, to include the current president. I mean, I think he's had an enormous impact, um, as I stated uh, previously uh, on X. He, unfortunately, that impact has been tainted by his relationship with the Chinese Communist Party. So whatever 
um, evil a lot of people uh, purport that he or claim that he has um, you know been involved with I think the most important of which is the you know slow uh, convincing of the political establishment that um, the Chinese Communist Party's relationship with our corporate sector is is important for the United States and I think the challenges that we face today are as a result of a lot of his recommendations to uh, the political and foreign policy establishments of the United States. You know, it's not to say that he um, he didn't have good intentions when he was in government. Certainly, you have to be careful, particularly when you have such an important following when you leave government service that the things that you're advocating for that benefit you financially are actually in the best interests of the United States. Mm. And to your point, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said earlier this year that there is now an absence of, quote, Kissinger-style diplomatic wisdom and Nixon-style political courage in its China policies, meaning the U.S. What does that mean in terms of foreign <laughs> policy? Well, anytime the Chinese Communist Party is saying that somebody has wisdom, it's because that person agrees with their point of view. And so I would not call that wisdom. I would call that either naivety or the fact that you, for some reason, for some personal interest, that's what I've seen a lot of the times, that you have basically adopted the Chinese Communist Party's position. And anytime you adopt their position, it is not going to favor the United States. They've been very clear that the United States is something that they seek to uh, certainly diminish or destroy in terms of the unique qualities of the United States, rule of law, civil liberties, human rights, uh, free speech, freedom of religion. These are things that the Chinese Communist Party absolutely loathes, and therefore they loathe the United States. And so all of their actions that they take are to destroy the United States. And so if you say, if somebody says from the Chinese Communist Party, you're smart or you're, you're an old friend of the Chinese people, basically what they're telegraphing is this person agrees with our worldview and supports us and, more importantly, acts as a proxy of the Chinese Communist Party in any engagement they may have with the West. Now, in terms of Kissinger's legacy, you did write on Twitter or X that you've said hopefully this will become a case study in foreign political influence. Expand on that point for us. Well, you know, um, I think Kissinger represents kind of the height of this corporate corruption that has infected our country. And it would be fine. It would be bad, but, but not as bad. Uh, as it is when that corruption extends into the nation state of a regime that doesn't want to see America be successful or thrive, but actually wants the opposite. And I think that's the problem. Kissinger's success as a businessman has been associated with the rise of China and essentially the, the, um, the relationships, the strong relationships between the U.S. corporate sector and the U.S. financial sector. Now, the Chinese Communist Party has enormous influence in our country, but it does not have as much influence as the U.S. corporate sector and financial sector. So it leverages those relationships, relationships that Henry Kissinger helped foster. It leverages those U.S. corporate and financial relationships to move the U.S. political process in their favor. And so this is the type of corruption I'm talking about. It's, it's bad enough, as I said, to be corrupt, but it's 
even worse when that corruption extends into a nation state who seeks the country's demise. And this is the thing that we need to clean up. General Spaulding, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Meta recently shut down thousands of fake Facebook accounts. The social media giant realized someone in China created them to divide Americans ahead of next year's elections. Entity's Eileen Ang reports. Meta said on Thursday that it removed nearly 4,800 fake accounts that were attempting to spread polarizing political content in an apparent effort to divide the U.S. ahead of next year's elections. The accounts sported fake photos, names, and locations as a way to appear like everyday American Facebook users weighing in on political issues. Instead of spreading fake content as other networks have done, the accounts were used to reshare posts from X, formerly Twitter, that were created by politicians, news outlets, and others. The interconnected accounts pulled content from both liberal and conservative sources, indicating that its goal was not to support one side or the other, but to exaggerate partisan divisions and further inflame polarization. The newly identified network shows how America's foreign adversaries exploit U.S.-based tech platforms to sow discord and distrust. It also hints at the serious threats posed by online disinformation next year, when national elections will occur in the U.S., India, Mexico, Ukraine, Pakistan, Taiwan, and other nations. What other actors are seeking to influence the 2024 elections through social media platforms? Congressman Mike Gallagher, who chairs the House Select Committee on the CCP, is warning about the role that TikTok might play. Joining us now to discuss, we have Kash Patel, former senior official in the Trump administration and current senior advisor to Trump for national security, defense and intelligence. Kash Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Now, the presidential election cycle is ramping up, and a lot of it comes down to where people get their information from. Now, Chairman of the Select Committee on the CCP, Mike Gallagher, is saying that TikTok could cause absolute chaos in this upcoming election. How do you read that? Is this a real threat? Uh, I might disagree with him just a touch and say that TikTok has caused mass chaos in not just this election, but prior elections. TikTok, I have always said, is the CCP's version of digital fentanyl. While that drug comes into our country illegally, thanks to the CCP and cartels down south and kills hundreds of our, thousands of our children over the past few years, TikTok, owned by the CCP, let's not make any mistakes about it, they can say there's an affiliate company and something over in mainland China, but the CCP controls it, is directly drilling into the brains of our youth um, and the majority of our country with whatever messaging platforms they want to have, all the while controlling the censorship, which leads directly to what the chairman was talking about. What they see on TikTok is going to be what the CCP wants to rig an election towards and not the news. It's a very dangerous path. To your point, the Pew Research is noting that one-third of Americans under the age of 30 are getting their news from TikTok. That is a 255% increase from 2020. How concerning is this trend? Well, there's a reason during the Trump administration, for national security reasons, we banned TikTok. And we handed that baton off to the Biden administration to continue the finishing um, touches on it because we ran out of time. And Joe Biden reversed it. And now you're seeing the damage it does to our youth and the news and the truth. 
And when you say figures like that, that's that's an astonishingly high number. You're talking about millions and millions of voters. And they are going to see something that the CCP wants to put forward or their allies, Russia, Iran, uh, maybe a terrorist organization, the cartels. And these youth won't know any different because they're just think, oh, TikTok is the Bible. This is where we get the truth. So what I'm seeing must be true. And we haven't done a good enough job in this country educating our children and, and young adults away from those types of disinformation campaigns. To one of your earlier points, Congressman Mike Gallagher is calling this one of China's magic weapons. He is mm -hmm. also noting that the Chinese companies are beholden to the party, noting TikTok's parent company ByteDance as also to your point. Now give us a sense of the national security implications that this brings up. No, this is the greatest threat from my perspective being a you know national security uh, guy and, and president trump's senior advisor for national security look what TikTok does is it allows mainland china and the ccp to literally drill a pipeline of intelligence into the united states of america and then they suck up all the data that everyone who's registered on TikTok is. They follow what you're looking at, what you're buying, what you're looking at advertising. Then they target you based on that um, uh, collection of information. And it's all owned by CCP China. It's not as if even like a US company was doing this, which I would still have the same problems with. But now our adversary, our number one enemy, the CCP, is going to use this not just today and tomorrow. They're going to pile on this information and use it five and 10 years down the road whenever they want to release their magic weapon. And as the chairman said, I do think they're going to release it this election cycle. I think they've already done it. And I think we're just going to see an escalation. And the Biden administration is going to let it happen. Expanding on that, it's not just TikTok. Meta actually says it's taken down thousands of accounts based inside China that were pretending to be Americans posting very partisan talking points. This is also ahead of this election cycle. Now, given these foreign influence campaigns that we are seeing, what can the U.S. do given that we do have First Amendment rights here in this country? Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be the biggest advocate for First Amendment rights. But when those rights infringe upon the law and creep into national security matters and allow for, uh, you know, threats, criminal actions and terrorist activity to occur in drug cartels, we need to shut them down. The government has the levers to say, look, enough is enough. TikTok has been shown to be an arm of the CCP illegally acquiring data. That's the key term, illegally, and using it for gain against their adversary, us, the United States. So we have a switch and we can just shut them off. And we can do the same to American companies that don't comply. It's great that Facebook turned off a few thousand accounts, but that just tells me there's a few hundred thousand that they haven't turned off and they're not willing to put the capacity towards turning them off. And I don't want to hear that Meta and Zuckerberg doesn't have the money or the resources to do so, that he has the money to pile in 400 million into an election cycle. His, his publicly traded company can put in money to protect this country and do more than just shut down a few thousand accounts. And the same goes for Google and, and everything else that's out there. A lot at stake here for sure. Cash Patel, thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Have a great evening. Coming up, NBA star Jonathan Isaac offers people a new way to stand up for their faith in basketball shoes that cite Bible verses. We'll see some examples. And in sports memorabilia news, the bidding for a Babe Ruth rookie card could set a new record. NTD's Dave Martin will join us in the studio to discuss when we return.
Welcome back. Fresh from an eight-game winning streak, the Orlando Magic's Jonathan Isaac sat down with us to discuss his new shoe line, basketball shoes that feature Bible verses. NTD's Virginia Gibson has more. NBA star Jonathan Isaac has released the Judah One, a line of basketball shoes that have Bible verses printed on them. I wanted to be able to have my values represented in the marketplace. And so to be able to have God honoring and Christ honoring sneakers um, that people of like minds and like beliefs can be able to purchase and wear, athletes can purchase and wear them. I'm just super excited about it. Isaac, a devout Christian, says society is moving away from godly values and principles. He hopes his shoe line, as well as his clothing line called Unitas, can unite people around traditional values. The shoes come in multiple colors, with different Bible verses on each one. Lion of Judah features Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. A verse that Isaac carries with him everywhere he goes. Triumph features 2 Corinthians 4.9. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. A reflection of how Isaac himself has prevailed through much hardship, including severe injuries, media blowback, and negativity on social media. This resulting from his decision to literally stand up for what he believes in, while every other player knelt in support of the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2020. Isaac is also one of the few who publicly rejected the COVID-19 vaccine. These topics are in a book he later wrote called Why I Stand. The book details how, when Isaac first entered the NBA, he didn't take faith seriously. It's not something that I truly understood. Uh, and then after I got drafted, I met a man in an elevator, and he said to me, I can tell you how to be great. And I said, how? And he said, you have to know Jesus. And from that moment on, my life kind of just went on this crazy roller coaster ride of, coming to true understanding of the love of Christ that, you know, the love that God had for me. That man was Pastor Deron Hepburn, who later became Isaac's pastor. Hepburn encouraged Isaac to start the Judas shoe line after Nike ended their contract. They hope that by next summer, they'll have a full lineup of everyday leisure wear. And now for more sports news, we welcome NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, right now there's a 100-year-old baseball card of Babe Ruth being auctioned off at more than $5 million, and the bidding is still going. What makes a card like this so valuable? Well, I mean, I guess supply and demand. I mean, this is a 1914 card of Babe Ruth when he was in Baltimore in the minor leagues. Now, he was promoted that same year to the big leagues, so this is rookie card. Those are always the most valuable. Now, as you can see on the video here, considering it's over 100 years old, it's actually not in bad shape. Now, Babe Ruth, he died like 75 years ago, yet he was so popular. I mean, his name still lives on. He was like the Michael Jordan, essentially, of his generation. Immensely famous, immensely successful, was the best player in the game. And baseball was America's favorite pastime at the time, you know. Plus, there's only 10 of these cards known to be in existence, so it's extremely remote to get that opportunity to get one. I mean. Must be like buying a Picasso or something. And now, speaking of millions of dollars, Nebraska's head coach Matt Rule caused a bit of a stir yesterday when he said getting a good quarterback in the transfer portal cost 1.5 to 2 million dollars. Now, do you see this as a problem for the NCAA? No, I mean not for the NCAA. I can see for coaches. I mean, it's one. It's that part of the recruiting process 
they're no longer in control of, and it's a pretty big part of it. I mean, now, players aren't getting paid by colleges. They're getting these name image likeness deals or NIL, and that's mostly a free economy. Now, some of these companies or organizations that are paying them are actually groups of alumni pooling their money together and recruiting these players to their alma mater. Now, that coupled with the NCAA's new transfer rules where players don't have to sit out a season after transferring has really changed the landscape. I mean, essentially, it's created like free agency. So I think this is kind of sticker shock, you know, what he said, because these, what these players make isn't publicly available like it is in, in the pros. Now, there have been recent hearings on Capitol Hill regarding these name-image-likeness name deals with opponents calling it the Wild West right now. <laughs> you seem to be all for it, but what about the argument that college players should become paid employees of the university? Well, I'm all for them cashing in on their NIL deals. I'm not sure about the employee argument. I mean, colleges are places of higher education. I'd like to think these players further their sports skills there as well get TV exposure, plus they get a free education at a time where everyone complains about how expensive college is. Now that said, I'm sure the university makes a profit off them, although a lot of that probably goes to hire these coaches actually. I'm not sure how to remedy that. But I'd also like to say that these NIL deals, I think actually keep kids in college longer. You know, before you had too many players who were jumping to the NBA or NFL just because they wanted to get paid. And they jumped before they were ready. And if things didn't work out there, their options were very limited. Now I think we're seeing more kids stay, get their degree, and get paid to do it. So I think it works well all for everyone. Now, looking at college basketball, some good news out of USC. Freshman guard Bronny James, son of LeBron James, has been medically cleared to return to practice. This is after he suffered a cardiac arrest during a practice in July. Do we know when he's set to make his debut? Well, soon has been the word, though no one's saying exactly when that will be. You know, apparently he has a final evaluation with USC staff this week, and then he starts practicing next week. I would think it's going to take two to three weeks probably for him to get into game condition. Of course, USC could really use him right now. They're without two of their guards who are out with injuries, so they're extremely thin. James, meanwhile, he's quite a talent. I mean, he was a high school American just like his dad was. Now, he was found to have a congenital heart defect after having this cardiac arrest. Uh, fortunately for him, though, it was treatable. Well, Dave, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.